In today's podcast, we bring you the highlights from the final day of the World Conference of Science Journalists. We'll be hearing about the public image of the pharmaceutical industry and investigate if the media are too critical or not critical enough of this powerful industry, as well as debate the role of the embargo in science journalism and whether we really need this to allow good science reporting. Plus, we'll be discussing the role of bloggers in new media and ask if they play the same role as the science journalist. All that and more coming up in today's podcast from the 6th Annual World Conference of Science Journalists with me, Mira Senthilingam. Now, one of the biggest industries in the world today is the pharmaceutical industry, with new supposedly breakthrough drugs constantly coming onto the market. But what image do the public have of this global industry? And what role do the media play in shaping this image? This was the topic of today's morning session, where John Illman, science writer and lecturer, gave his views on how the media should report on pharmaceuticals. Um, I was trying to express um, a viewpoint about the difficulties the media have in reporting healthcare. And I think, as I said, one of the most difficult things to do as a journalist is to tell the truth. Then what do you think the current situation is with the media and pharmaceutical industries? How do you think the media is covering drug development? Um, I think one of the problems is that a lot of uh, journalists do not have any scientific training, which means it can be very, very difficult to report clinical trials. I mean, how many journalists know, for example, um, what a p-value is? Having said that, the science industry, if I can refer to it as that, is well aware of that, and it should be possible to package the right information to journalists in a way that is acceptable to them and their readers. And I would like to make one further point here, um, and that is um, there is an argument that journalists don't necessarily need to know about p-values and confidence intervals because they are representing the public who have got even less idea about what these terms mean. But there is a need, as I said in my talk, for the media to subject um, the pharma industry to the utmost scrutiny. So I recognise that there is a slight inconsistency in what I've just said but then life is full of inconsistencies anyway. The last thing I would want to say is it is important that the media reflects what is good about the pharma industry as well as what is bad, because there is so much there that is good. And one of the, one, one of the problems I have um, about pharma people is that they do sometimes behave as if they're second-hand car salesmen rather than being members of one of the world's most dynamic industries. That was science writer John Illman. And as well as John, Vera Sharab from the Alliance for Human Research Protection, or AHRP, gave her view on pharmaceuticals. And she was very sceptical about the industry, warning the media to be more investigative of these so-called breakthrough drugs. pharmaceutical industry spends close to $60 billion annually on marketing. Only 31 billion on research and development. People need to know that it is not at all industry's primary focus. 
uh, it is often used to promote drugs that are not only not effective, that don't have clinical benefit, but that are very, very dangerous. Drugs that kill, drugs that have cardiovascular uh, damage. Uh, Vioxx, of course, comes to mind, but right now, for example, in the United States, uh, children are a target of the worst drugs that pharmacopoeia has, and that is the antipsychotics. How do you think, then, the media is actually reacting to this? Is the media covering this well? The trouble is that the media relies very heavily on what the pharmaceutical industry uh, presents. Essentially, that information is marketing hype. It is meant to promote drugs and not to tell the truth. In which case, what should um, journalists do in order to make sure they're not marketing hype? Journalists need to do much more digging, much ask many more direct questions and ask for the evidence. When they're told that a great new breakthrough for tuberculosis or for HIV, whatever, they need to ask for the data and then have a few, not just one, independent scientists look at it and see whether what they are interpreting is accurate based on the data or whether it's wishful thinking. My only um, follow-up to that is certain journalists that work for daily papers and have constant deadlines, their problem is time. So how do you think they can get around this? Simply by not reporting so-called breakthroughs too fast because they almost never turn out to be breakthroughs. Vera Sharav from the Alliance for Human Research Protection. Now another hot topic debated on the final day was the embargo, something either loved or hated by many a science journalist. And up first was BBC presenter Jeff Watts for the defence. Well, I was uh, rather arbitrarily, I think, in some senses, put on the, the side of supporting embargoes. To be perfectly honest, before today, I'd never had any strong feelings about it. And I was somewhat uh, bemused to discover I was up against someone who'd actually written a book to say how terrible these things were. My argument was, I think, essentially that... There is a sort of obsession now in the world with getting as much information about everything at the earliest possible moment to the greatest number of people. And while, as a general principle, it probably doesn't do much harm, and there are certain areas, I think, of life where it can actually do a considerable amount of harm. And one of these is an unfolding science or medical story. Science and medicine are of their nature quite complex, and directly or indirectly, they affect a lot of people's lives. And if you start reporting what appears to be a real shock horror story, fresh out of a, a piece of academic research, before you've had time really to think about it or consider it or see, think who you should go to for expert comment and to put the thing into some kind of context, the chances are you're going to end up misleading a lot of people. And then it may take days or weeks to remedy that. It may never get remedied at all. Somehow an idea gets out among people that something is particularly good or particularly bad. If there wasn't this rush to get the information out in the first place, if we could just hold off for a day or two, think about it and have some mature reflection, we might serve the public better than we do now. And the embargo, of course, is, is one way of uh, achieving this. And although people did come up with certain instances in which it could appear to have negative side effects or it's somehow someone taking control of, of someone else, by and large, it seems to me, it does actually serve the public. So at the end of the uh, debate, the, I have to say, my opinion wasn't really changed. It's not a subject I get terribly exercised about, but on balance, it does seem to me that it probably does serve all of us, both the science journalists and the wider community. BBC presenter, Jeff Watts. We've heard the arguments for the embargo, 
So now we welcome to the ring editor of The Lancet, Richard Horton, for the prosecution. I am passionately against embargoes because embargoes cause the quality of science journalism to be levelled down, not levelled up. They force journalists to be controlled by journals and journal editors. They stop scientists from pursuing more important stories because everybody is pointed in one direction. The paper published in the journal at a particular time. And that's a crazy way to run journalism. Journalists should be independent critics of science, holding scientists accountable, not slavishly following the agenda that journals and their editors set them. So for God's sake, liberate yourselves from the journals. Do what you should do well, which is follow your own instincts. And what about the argument that big issues need some control by, say, something like a press office, just in order to make sure it's reported right and it has the biggest impact? So there are two sides to this. From the scientist side, yes, manipulation, getting the story out carefully, promoting it, I can totally see why that's a good thing for the scientist. But think about it from the public's point of view. We live, I think, still in a democracy. So science is just one part of our public culture. Why should science get special privileges? Science should be no different from anything else in our society. It should be criticized and held to account just like anything else. So while I totally understand the scientist's point of view, I'm worried about it because it undermines democracy. And just lastly, um, everybody's arguments result in a very good debate during the session. So did your stance change at all as a result of that? Definitely. I heard arguments from the other side and from Fiona Fox that definitely made me think I need to just tone down my passionate antipathy for the embargo because I can see that there are changes in the news media, digital media, rolling news, where you could promote the kind of exploitation, speculation, which could actually be damaging. So in that situation, a little bit of control might be a good thing, just not too much. This session resulted in a fantastic debate, basically leaving delegates with mixed feelings towards the embargo with those initially against it, understanding that it may enable more informative and high-impact science reporting, and those for it appreciating that it can limit the investigation and exposure of good science stories. That was the editor of The Lancet, Richard Horton. Now, as well as pharmaceuticals and embargoes, a final issue of the day further examined the role of new media, which has been a common thread throughout the conference. And the issue at hand was the role of the blogger, Alok Shah from The Guardian spoke about this. So I'm a massive fan of blogs. I read um, Ed Yong's blog, I read PZ Myers on science blogs, and what I love about them is the, the sort of how specific they are to their subject. But I, I do get worried and frustrated a little bit by superiority that a lot of bloggers feel over journalists when, when it comes to covering science. So they say, why can't all journalists cover science in the same way that I'm covering science? Well, you know, actually we can't because of various space constraints and things, but really also we cover a much wider range of things and our audience is very different. So we, no one would be interested in if we covered science to the depth that a blogger if, in physics, for example, would. And I think that it's a false argument that they're making. I also think there's a lot of rubbish blogs out there, lots of people sort of talking about a single subject that no one's interested in. And just because of that, it can't mean that all bloggers are better than all journalists, which is what a lot of this conference seems to be talking about. It's all sort of new media is definitely the way forward, and there's no point to having any 
journalism? Well, actually, journalists do a lot of things that bloggers don't. They, much, they check their facts more carefully. We've got to make sure we don't libel people. We uh, have to double-source things, for example. All these things which actually reporters do. What I would like to see uh, is a bit more respect for science journalists from this community. Bear in mind, this community uses the, uh, the fruits of our labour all the time. I mean, if it wasn't for a straightforward report of a story, they couldn't go around either dismissing it or going on about it and sharing it. And so they are the biggest consumers of what we do, pretty much. If I'm sounding a bit sort of down on bloggers, it's not true that I'm down on them. It's, uh, there's some bloggers which I absolutely love. I just think that there's a, there's a real complacency amongst people who are trying out reporting to think that they can do it better than everyone else without having, done, having had any experience of it whatsoever. And, you know, there is a, it's not the hardest thing in the world reporting, but there is a bit of a craft to it. So whilst the blogger plays an important role in informing the online public about science, they couldn't have their impact or find their stories without science journalists. That was Alok Jha from The Guardian. Now that's it for this final podcast from the World Conference of Science Journalists. It's been an exciting week, with engaging debates taking place about the role and future of science journalism in the world today. Thank you to all the session producers, speakers and chairs for their excellent content, and the Naked Scientist team for their production. I'm Mira Senthilingam from thenakedscientist.com. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. (laughs) 